Welcome to BFR Radio, a podcast dedicated to all things BFR. This podcast is proudly sponsored by sportsrehab.com.au, where if you want to buy your own BFR cuffs or you want more information about the type of training or you just want more information, this is your one place to go. And I'm your host, Chris Gavilio. Welcome back to BFR and the second episode on this short mini-series on hormones and BFR. I thought I'd take the time to explain some deeper mechanisms as to how BFR works. I've in the past focused on episodes that have been more, you do BFR with this type of training intervention and you get this result. And I know a lot of people ask me about the mechanisms as to how it works and hormones is one of the five main mechanisms. There's lots of mechanisms with other factors with BFR. So I thought I'd actually go through each hormone because not only is it related to BFR, but these hormones are anabolic hormones and they relate to a lot about our own body function, how we improve our muscle strength and size, and also performance. Before I launch into today's episode, if anyone has watched the recent Winter Olympic Games and more specifically the Women's Skeleton event, this is the event where you go face down on a metal board with blades down what would be traditionally a bobsleigh track. The athlete who finished second in the women's event is an Australian athlete, Jackie Narricott. The reason as to why I mention this is that I'm a strength coach and I'm damn proud of her and what a fantastic achievement. Now we've been working together for about six to eight years. I can't remember. It's been a long time. And the bulk of her training or her strength programming, which I'm in charge of, is to make her strong and powerful. With that, we incorporate a lot of BFR in her training. Now, don't get me wrong, she still squats, heavy step-ups with lots of weight, Olympic lifts, and all those traditional exercises that you would see in a strength program. However, due to different things that happen over time, whether she gets injured we used BFR in during the COVID shutdown. We used a ton of BFR because she actually had no gym equipment like most people. And we transitioned to using BFR, lifting bands and isometric straps. And then also when she's traveling as well, as you could imagine, she doesn't have access to good gym equipment. Just like if you would travel and go on a holiday, typically the hotel gym is quite poor. And as you could realize that if she's traveling with this COVID pandemic, that wanting or that having to train in public gyms with A, poor equipment and B, unknown hygienic uh, factors, that she could be exposing herself to COVID. So she decided to do a lot of her sessions in her hotel room. So the ability to be able to pivot her training to incorporate BFR bands and straps whenever we want with no adverse effect on her performance is absolutely unbelievable. So I did actually do a podcast with her in one of my initial episodes on BFR Radio. And obviously since then, we've improved our training methodology and really got it down to a fine art. And as you can see there, that she got a silver medal, which is a fantastic achievement for any athlete at the Olympics. But also you've got to realize that in Australia, we don't have much snow and sliding sports like this is non-existent and therefore the achievement is even more greater so if you haven't checked it out check her out Jackie Narricott 
she does come from a track and field background, but fantastic and what a wonderful lady that she is. So a shout out to her. If you actually would like me to interview her a little bit further about some of the stuff that we do with her training, whether it's more from a strength and conditioning point of view and all the incorporation of BFR, let me know and actually perhaps shoot me some specific questions so I can ask her. And possibly I could have a, another series after this and name it something like Awesome Athletes, Awesome Performances, because there are other athletes who are doing fantastic things that I either work with or I know that use BFR and I actually consult with their coaches. And we could get them onto the podcast and you could just listen to their stories, which on their own without the BFR are just fantastic. And you can message me these questions if you're interested through my website, which is sportsrehab.com.au or my socials, which is Twitter or Instagram, which is at Chris Gavilio. That's G-A-V-I-G-L-I-O. Second G is silent. And once again, if you do have specific questions or just any questions in general, send them through to me. And with that, if you are looking for more content on how to implement BFR into your own training, once again, check out my Instagram. I have lots of videos and also my YouTube channel, which is Sports Rehab Oz. And before I get onto this, really exciting news. Quite not ready to go yet, so I'm going to just leave it under wraps at the moment. But I am going through a rebrand at the moment. And everything will come under the umbrella. It'll be a new name pretty soon. Logo's done. The website's under construction. Very exciting. My workshops currently under construction. That'll go up there. So you can actually do an accredited workshop on BFR. You can access online training programs. If you're interested in getting into some training right now, just contact me through my socials or through my website or just email me. I'm ready to go with that, but the website's just a couple of little fine-tuning things there. Before I get into this review, similar to the one on growth hormone, I'm going to be introducing a lot of new concepts. So where possible, I'm going to try and explain what these are. And as a result also, I'm actually not going to get into the deep physiology of it all and the mechanisms because this podcast would perhaps get a little too big. And also, I want to keep you interested and listening and I want to keep it to the point. So as always, if you are interested in learning more, I encourage you to get the papers out and read at your own leisure. Now onto the hormone review. In the last episode, I reviewed one of the most commonly known anabolic hormones and that is growth hormone. Today, we're going to look at insulin growth factor and the two are actually really closely related to introduce and bring in insulin growth factor. In fact, insulin growth factor one I'm just going to just briefly go through human growth hormone again, very, very briefly, and then I'll bring in insulin growth factor in the one hit. So stay with me here. Just to refresh your memory, human growth hormone has many varied roles throughout life, from growth itself, including the turnover of muscle, bone, and collagen, to the regulation of selective aspects of metabolic function, including increased fat metabolism and the maintenance of a healthier body composition in later life. A lot of information on growth hormone exists around the exogenous, that is external administration of growth hormone, but there are a number of physiological stimuli that can initiate secretion and the most powerful natural or non-pharmacological ways are both sleep and exercise. And then I went into some really easy BFR sessions that you could implement yourself 
to significantly increase growth hormone concentrations. How this relates to insulin growth factor is that the currently accepted hypothesis on growth involving growth hormone is known as the somatomedin hypothesis. This hypothesis states that in the liver and other target cells, through interactions with its receptor, human growth hormone induces the production of somatomedins, or insulin growth factors, where insulin growth factor 1 is one of these. Now, insulin growth factors are produced by most tissues of the body, although it is predominantly produced in the liver, and they are found in blood bound to a family of proteins, interestingly called insulin growth factor binding proteins. Being so widely distributed, it's understandable that insulin growth factors had the potential to act via endocrine, autocrine, and paracrine mechanisms, where endocrine is about hormonal, autocrine relates to a substance that has effect on the cell by which it is secreted, whereas paracrine relates to or denotes a hormone which has effect only in the vicinity of the gland secreting it. When we look at what's the significance of insulin growth factor one, the first one is around skeletal muscle. Two major contexts have been developed in the literature concerning the role of insulin growth factor and skeletal muscle. Firstly, it's a component of a dual axis involving both growth hormone and insulin growth factor one in relation to the regulation of muscle growth via metabolic and anabolic actions. And secondly, the role of insulin growth factor in mitogenic and myogenic processes during muscle development, regeneration, or hypertrophy, where mitogenic processes relate to signaling activation, which stimulates cell progression, and myogenic processes relate to originating in the muscle tissue. So really what it's just saying here is the growth factor one has roles within the muscle that relates to signaling activation and also just processes that originate within the tissue itself. Both growth hormone and insulin growth factor 1 signaling is important for other functions of the body aside from increases in muscle size or protein synthesis. In particular, they're both critical for proper development and function of many major organ systems. There's very strong evidence for neuroprotective effects of insulin growth factor 1 in different situations, including aging. Clinical studies have shown that mutation in insulin growth factor 1 genes result in decreased signaling and lead to microcephaly and mental impairment of patients, which often exhibit significant delays in psychomotor function and hearing loss. And just to let you know, microcephaly is a birth defect where a baby's head is smaller than expected when compared to babies of the same sex and age. And these babies unfortunately have smaller brains that may not have developed properly. In animal studies, insulin growth factor 1 signaling has emphasized the importance for brain development and behavioral deficits. Until recently, it was thought that the hormonally secreted insulin growth factor 1 produced by the liver was responsible for many of growth hormone actions within the body. However, research indicates that circulating insulin growth factor 1 should be considered more as a marker of growth hormone action in the liver than as the mechanism by which growth hormone exerts its effect. Production of insulin growth factor 1 is regulated by factors other than growth hormone, and most notably nutritional and thyroid status. Under nutrition, such as seen in anorexia nervosa and poorly controlled type 1 diabetes, are both associated with low plasma or low blood 
insulin growth factor 1 and high growth hormone secretion. Insulin growth factor has many actions that resemble growth hormone and at one stage it was thought that most if not all of growth hormones actions were mediated through insulin growth factor 1. However, Further studies have indicated that this may be an oversimplification of a complex system and the exact roles of growth hormone and insulin growth factor 1 still have to be defined. There are growth hormone receptors on all the cells in the body and it appears that growth hormone exerts effects on most if not all of these cells. There are literally hundreds if not thousands of growth hormone dependent markers produced under the influence of growth hormone. Insulin growth factor 1 just happens to be the best known of these. Insulin growth factor 1 acts directly to stimulate protein synthesis, but rather it's proposed by researchers that both growth hormone and insulin growth factor 1 act in concert to stimulate protein synthesis. It's also been reported to induce an increase in intracellular calcium, which is associated with the activation of the mTOR pathway. Now, mTOR pathway, I'm not going to go into it, but this is actually another mechanism, or in this case, an an intracellular signaling mechanism as to how BFR works. Uh, so I just thought out of interest that I would mention that. If we look at studies administrating human growth hormone and exogenous insulin growth factor 1 in combination to healthy human subjects or to AIDS patients with muscle wasting, they have actually demonstrated far greater anabolic effects than the administration of human growth hormone or exogenous insulin growth factor 1 in isolation. These findings could form the basis for the suggestion that some sports people are abusing a cocktail of human growth hormone in combination with insulin growth factor 1. Similar to growth hormone, natural levels of insulin growth factor 1 shows an age-related fall, hence the importance in finding ways to stimulate acute insulin growth factor 1 concentrations. Both these levels are reduced by 30-60% to 60 in the elderly. This decrease is temporarily associated with the appearance of cognitive impairment and supplementation of insulin growth factor 1 has actually been shown to reverse this deficit. Similar to insulin growth factor 1, supplementation of growth hormone has also been shown to lead to significant improvements in a variety of learning and memory tasks and restoring that axis or the dual combination of growth hormone and insulin growth factor 1 signaling at specific stages of lifespan can positively affect cognition potentially through specific mechanisms that are yet to be identified. Now these are some potentially interesting points to consider as we age that not only do we need to be aware of keeping active and maintaining muscle mass and function but also we should be looking at ways to maintain cognitive function. As I mentioned in this study here a lot of the ways that they found how these mechanisms of growth hormone and insulin growth factor 1 have worked is through the exogenous administration of both of these hormones. Now in my line of work as a strength and conditioning coach, I work with athletes and I need to look at natural ways to enhance one's own anabolic hormonal concentrations. And similar to growth hormone and the last episode, exercise can acutely increase insulin growth factor 1 concentrations. And this is actually a great time to actually look at a few different BFR studies that highlight what kind of BFR training can be performed that will not only have a positive response to insulin growth factor concentration increases, but hopefully will highlight positive improvement in either muscle strength, size or performance. Because at the end of the day, as a coach, 
if I knew that it was increasing insulin growth factor one, I'd be saying, yeah, that's really great. But really, I'm looking for improvements in muscle size, strength, or performance. Therefore, we're going to head into these studies. The first one looked at the effect of twice daily sessions of low intensity resistance training. That's 20% of 1RM with BFR, or in this case, they actually use katsu training. And this was done with two weeks where they looked at skeletal muscle size and insulin growth factor one concentrations. They had two groups. The first one was low intensity katsu or low intensity BFR, and the other group just performed low intensity training alone without any BFR on. Training was conducted two times a day, six days a week for two weeks. The participants did two exercises, squat and hamstring leg curl, and they did three sets of 15 with 30 seconds of rest between the sets and the exercise. On day one, the cuff pressure was set at 160 millimeters of mercury, and the pressure was increased 10 mils of mercury each day until the final training cuff pressure of 240 millimeters of mercury was reached. It's important to note here, as with all studies that I try and highlight, is that they use katsu brand cuffs, which has a thinner width, around four centimeters. So if you are using wider bands, a lower pressure would be typically used as opposed to just copying this study from the outright. And I must say that even with a thin cuff, 240 mils of mercury is quite high. So you might need to do some introductory work with BFR before you actually follow this. The study showed that two weeks of low intensity katsu training produced a 24% increase in circulating insulin growth factor one concentrations, whereas nothing in the low intensity non-BFR. Now, if we look at the other results, muscle size, the three main areas here, they looked at mid-thigh muscle cross-sectional area, glute max muscle volume, and also quadricep and biceps femoris muscle volumes. If we look at the BFR group, they had significant increases in all of these measurements, and they were all significant. In the low-intensity non-BFR group, they had very small minor improvements to almost no improvements, highlighting that you needed the additional stimulus of the BFR to increase muscle cross-sectional area. The relative percent changes in the squat and the hamstring leg curl strength were larger in the BFR group, and squat strength increased in both of these groups, where the BFR group showed a 17% improvement in strength and only a 9% in the low-intensity non-BFR group. Hamstring leg curl strength increased 22.6% in the BFR group, but there was a non-significant 1.3% increase in the low-intensity non-BFR group. I must also stress here that the participants Although they led active lives, they hadn't participated in a regular resistance exercise program for at least six months prior to the start of the study. Therefore, these changes would be good for someone who is getting back into exercise or has a low training age or has been injured, and they want to get some quick gains without overloading the body with higher traditional loads. If we move into a slightly different study, well, this was a really interesting case study which looked at a 91-year-old sedentary man who presented exhaustion, lower limb weakness, hypertension, and a history of multiple falls, and was diagnosed with sarcopenia. In the first three months, 
low intensity strength training program that without BFR was performed with an intensity corresponding to 30% of his one repetition maximum. This was then followed by one month of inactivity and then another three months of the same low intensity program, but with the addition of BFR. And the BFR pressure was equivalent to 50% of resting systolic blood pressure. In the program, the gentleman performed upper and lower body exercises, which included bicep curls, tricep extensions, leg press, and leg extensions. All exercises were performed with three sets of 10RM with one minute interval between sets and reps. And the training sessions were done three times a week and both exercise programs used loads of 30% of 1RM. During the three-month BFR program, the cuff pressure was maintained during the whole duration of all exercises, including the rest periods, which was about 12 minutes total on average. Now, just quickly here before I get into the results, what I like about this one and actually the last study is they didn't go into the 75 rep protocol. They're using, in this case here, three sets of 10. The sessions are really short, which is another benefit of BFI, and the exercises are simple. Bicep curl, tricep extension, leg press, and leg extension, three sets of 10. If we look at the results, only the addition of BFR produced positive improvements. And in particular, the subject was able to show improved insulin growth factor one concentrations, improvements in muscle mass, improvements in ASM, which is actually called appendicular skeletal muscle mass index, which is actually an indicator of sarcopenia, hand grip strength, and also isokinetic peak torque, which is quite a comprehensive battery of tests for a 91-year-old man. In particular, insulin growth factor 1 concentrations increased 18.5% in the BFR group and actually decreased 22% in the non-BFR group. The appendicular skeletal muscle mass index, or ASM, and the total skeletal muscle mass increased significantly around 2% for both measures in the BFR group, whereas the non-BFR low-intensity program resulted in a 2.7% decrease for both markers of muscle mass size changes. Hand grip strength also increased in the BFR group by 18%, whereas there was a 3.5% decrease in the non-BFR training program. Once again, just really highlighting that if you are going to do any kind of low intensity training, that you actually need some sort of intensity or stress or stimulus and low load is just not going to do it. But the addition of BFR and the increase in metabolic stress will enable you to elicit those changes to activate those different pathways and mechanisms to get the changes that we actually want to see. Now, I didn't go through a lot of papers here, and similar to growth hormone, there are many more papers that highlight how the addition of BFR can be used to increase insulin growth factor 1 concentrations. However, I think it's more the tangible increases in the markers that we understand. That's the increases in muscle mass, muscle size, strength, that highlight that what we are seeing is beneficial to us. The increases in insulin growth factor 1 is just a byproduct. But I really wanted just to get you to understand a little bit of the relationships of the two, that they, there is some sort of importance and that it actually extends a little bit more beyond just human performance. But actually, it's really important for us in life as we age. And so if we can exercise, add BFR as we age, 
that not only are we help improving our own function from day to day in functional tasks, but we're actually able to somehow maybe improve our cognitive function, which I think is really important and has some wonderful implications for us all. That's where I'm going to leave insulin growth factor one. I hope I kept you engaged for the whole time. As I said, it was pretty deep, but I tried to not go too deep so you could just get a feel for it and just understand that the addition of BFR has some really positive implications. Next week, we're going to look at testosterone. And there's going to be some interesting points here with testosterone and BFR. And I actually think I'm going to be actually value-add beyond what we read in academic journals. So make sure you stay tuned for that one. If this review of hormones and BFR training has sparked your own interest in starting an exercise regime, make sure you get in touch with me through my website or my socials, which is once again at Chris Gavilio. The sports rehab tourniquet brand of BFR cuffs can also be purchased from my website, which is all the w's.sportsrehab.com.au. And lastly, before I go, a couple of favors from me to you. If you know of someone who would benefit from this episode, please share it. And if you are enjoying the podcast, please give it a rating on iTunes. I do appreciate it. Thanks for listening. See you in a couple of weeks and remember to keep the pump.